Shut up and sit down. Hey guys, it's Christine and welcome to Liberty 101. Uh, this is the first airing of this. So if you're here, welcome. Um, basically what we want to do is get back to basics when it comes to the Liberty movement. Everyone has a starting point, an area or a topic that really hits home to them. And we want to address that. We want to make sure that people feel welcome into the Liberty movement and, you know, not overwhelm them with all of the the extra details, give them a starting point and allow them to jump off from there and uh, find the candidates that support the same thing as them and find like-minded folks that are working through the movement. So tonight I'm going to have a couple of people jumping in and out and, um, and you'll if you could just bear with me since it's my first night, I've been on StreamYard as a guest, but I have not been on as an actual host controlling everything. So this should be super fun and I'm glad we get to do it together. So I'm going to get my first guest in here. Um, and we're going to talk about what got us into the movement. Hey, hey how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am exhausted and anxious and every feeling that you could possibly have i have right I've, now <laughs> i've had that feeling before yeah so welcome to liberty 101 you are yeah. officially my first guest so i'm honored i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing or yeah, I'm, but i appreciate being on <laughs> yeah so uh wanted to talk about uh our beginnings in the the liberty movement yeah okay. yeah that's my, the basis of this show, um, I, you know, tonight with it being the first one, I want to talk about what got me into it, what got some other people who are in the movement into it. And that way, you know, we can build off of issues that people Perfect. pull them in, whether it be abortion or taxes or eminent domain, you know, allow these, allow these people, anybody who's watching to be able to kind of get an entry into the liberty movement and then they can kind of decide where on that topic they really fall because i i find that um in my daily activism and trying to get people into the libertarian party and now the keystone party that i want to be able to talk to people on their level and to be reminded of where that level is um, is always going to be humbling to, you know, after six years of being in the Liberty movement, sometimes I forget about where I started. And I think that it's a good thing to always bring us back to where we started so that we can know how to approach people. And I think, you know, what kind of got me in this mindset was Spike because he's so good at being able to talk to people on their level. And I think that this will help kind of give everyone that, that idea of how to go back to people at their level. So if you could talk to me about what brought you in and I would love to hear that. So I guess my Liberty uh, Genesis story is, is kind of convoluted. I, I started, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an older dude. So I'm, I'm 48 years old. 
my first involvement in politics was when I was 16 and I worked a state state Senate campaign in, in New Mexico for a Democrat. Um, I was told by my mom and my sister that I was a Democrat. I didn't really feel like a Democrat. Um, but I was registered as a Democrat at age 18. My mom was big in, in New Mexico state politics. So I actually got a, was a delegate to the state convention, uh, in 1992, um, and sent the only delegate to the national convention that voted for Ross Perot. Um, so that was kind of my, my intro to being a rabble rouser. Um, I grew very disaffected with the Democrats. Like I, I, I got what they were coming with social justice and, and, and rights and, and, you know, the, the social aspects of, of Liberty, but I couldn't stand their spinning. I couldn't stand, you know, everything had to be, you know, if it was, if it wasn't working, we had to spend more money on it. And it just didn't make sense to me. So I became a Republican because that was the only other choice that I thought I had at that point. And, uh, uh, spent several years in the Republican party, um, you know, moved to a couple different States. I became the, uh, Vice chair of the North Fulton Young Republicans in in just outside of Atlanta, the northern half of the county that Atlanta is in, and um, you know I worked on campaigns. I worked a very motley crew of of within the Republican Party. I worked with uh, um, you know the the uh, Sunny Purdue's campaign for governor, um, and some local school board races. But then I helped elect Ralph Reed chair of the Republican Party of Georgia. Wow. Uh, so yeah, Ralph Reed, Christian conservative. Not, I mean, if you if you meet the guy, he's not that Bible belty. Um, he's a little bit more pragmatic than than he portrayed himself on TV and was portrayed on TV. But uh, you know, still, I I kind of cringe when uh, having been involved in that. And um, you know, the Iraq War happened and the torture happened, and I, I just couldn't, I I couldn't put my name to that. Yeah, I get that. I get that 100%. So I was a political free agent for a few years. And then finally, my former governor, Gary Johnson, decides to run as a libertarian. And I was like, what is this libertarian stuff? So on August 31st of 2012, I joined the Libertarian Party. And I've been in the Libertarian Party ever since. Um, and you're right. It's it, I think of where I was when I first started the Libertarian Party. And I think that there is sometimes we, we as a brand new libertarian, um, or at least the, the older libertarians, when they see a brand new libertarian come in, we forget that we were, we had bad ideas when we came yep. Um, you know, we were still kind of beholden to that two party ethos. And, and, um, uh, so I saw quite a few people that joined at the same time I did get run off because some of the older, like, you're not a, you're not a libertarian. You're, you're a statist rather than explain to them. Hey, you know, you know, I, I get why you you feel that way. You've been taught that your whole life. Here's why we believe this, and bring them around to the the, the type of thinking that we have, or or do what Spike does, where he talks about you know, you know, meeting them where they're at, understanding mm -hmm. what what makes them uh, make that issue big for them, and then relate libertarian solutions to them. And that just wasn't happening. And uh, that was one of the things that. Um, I think as you get deeper into the party and longer into the party uh, and within the libertarian movement or liberty movement, the greater libertarian movement, um, you, uh, you, you tend to forget that we were all baby libertarians at one point. Yes, we were. And you, you have a little bit of grace. Uh, just, just 
you know, uh, if you reach somebody that that is having uh, bad moments, just say, you know, hey man, I, I was there. I I actually understand what you're you're preaching right now, and I you'll understand in a few years that it'll probably make you cringe in a couple of years. Just just understand that. <laughs> so <laughs> don't, don't don't punish yourself for that, and don't punish them for it. It's it's that it's the natural maturation process of being a libertarian or li- in the liberty movement, right? I know that you just started your your brand new party. Congratulations on that, by the way. That's that's all. Awesome. Um, I'm not a uh, I, I'm a libertarian. I, I I will vote for the libertarian party. Um, the but the, I'm not a uh, party snob in that. I think the party should be a it should be a marketplace of ideas, and that the best ideas will win, uh, rather than you know kind of this really horrid system that we find ourselves in. Uh, with the, the Democrats and Republicans really just shutting us out. So well, what I really think it comes down to is that we forget that libertarianism is a philosophy and it, it's a mindset of where we want the government to be. And we don't have to be under the party name to be able to push forward the party, the, the philosophy of libertarianism. And, you know, that's a key thing here is that, you know, for me, I stepped away from the party because it doesn't reflect who I am and what I stand for. The, the party doesn't reflect who I am and what I stand for or the goals that I want to see. Um, will it one day? Maybe. But right now, um, I devote a lot of time and energy and money into my activism. And I want to put it somewhere where I feel like what I want to accomplish um, is getting done. And David, I just remembered I forgot to do something. So I'm going to do something real quick because I forgot our ads so go for it as the, the money so, the alaskan raven um where you can go for all your meme needs so make sure you go there and then we've got crown by gold which is the third and final series in the royal gold series royal green series excuse me by jack casey so you'd want to go and check that out um but he does have another series coming out soon so be on the lookout for that Lead Libertarian Veterans Caucus, leading libertarians to veteran issues and leading veterans to libertarian solutions. And last but not least, James Toller for Kentucky, Toller, T-O-L-L-E-R, for com. So always putting people over politics. Now I did that. So now I can't be yelled at for not doing that because that is the key. Um, I'm going to bring John in here. John's joined us. Let's see if I can. Nope. Don't like that. Oh, that's better. Let's do it that way. Okay. That works. <laughs> John, hey. thank you for joining us on Liberty 101. Um, thank you for I having me. been sitting back there a little bit. You heard a little bit of David's story is how he came to libertarianism. Um, you know, I don't know if you were listening prior. Um. But Liberty 101 is a back to basics. It's it's reminding everyone where we came from, because while we've been in the party or in the Liberty movement for a while, there are many people who are bringing into the movement. And we have to remember where we came from, the steps we took at the beginning. And I think it's a really great idea and um, to try and go back there so we can kind of get humbled again. So would you please tell us where you started? Oh, boy. Where did I start? Um, sir, sir, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. I had a little interruption already. You're getting some fun here. <laughs> um, 
where did I start? Well, I guess you could say it started back uh, when I was much younger. Um, I took a very early interest in politics in general. Um, uh, I got very invested into the the Gore Bush. Uh, election, but they were pushing it a lot in school, trying to teach us about elections. I think that was the first real big presidential election. And um, of course, you know, as, as Dave, I think I heard him briefly mention, you kind of automatically assume the politics of your parents, you know? Uh, so my mom was a Republican and my dad was a Republican. No, my dad was a Republican. My mom was a Democrat and I could be wrong, but um I got very into the, oh, well, you know, let's go with uh, Gore because he was just our last vice president. So, yeah, Democrats. And um, I stayed very heavily Democrat-leaning, especially as we got into 9-11 and the war. I hated the war. Um, one of the things that started to become big to me was gay rights and marriage equality still was not a thing. Uh, the fight was still really raging on and – um, as far as I thought, the Democrats were the ones on the side of uh, those things. And uh, so here comes my first presidential election in 2008, where I can vote. And yay, Obama! <laughs> I got disappointed very quickly. Um, and then over the couple years through his term, uh, coming up to the 2012 election, um, a lot of very interesting things were happening in my life. Uh my son had cancer. I was in college. I was very independent, uh, more than I'd ever been on my own. And started listening to a lot of talk radio. You know. Oh, John froze for a second. Well, that's John. That's not the most flattering picture of him. Really? The freeze on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, I know. It always does that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I got full Wi-Fi. Anyway. Where did I lose you? Or did you lose me, I should say? I'm not sure. You were, uh, Something about Obama. Yeah, you got okay. it. <laughs> All right, so 2008, first presidential election. Yay, Obama. Okay. Um, so, you know, I was big on the Obama. I uh, I collected some signatures. Uh, I campaigned as a, you know, a young college person could do for, you know, my capacity working full-time job going to school full-time and um i was sorely disappointed not too long after and come to the next election i started listening to talk radio like rush and all those big guys and i started realizing a lot of the things that i really thought were not democrat but they weren't republican either and so i got very confused i was a very fiscally conservative um I also admittedly, and I, I've seen a lot of these posts come up recently in my on this day, I was very anti-immigration for some reason. And like, wow, I hate how I was then. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, hey, we all come from somewhere and we learn, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I started uh look around and I think Ron Paul kind of came across my radar, but wasn't really interested. Um, uh but then, you know, I heard about this guy, Gary Johnson, and I'm like, ah, what the hell? You know, it's not Obama. It's not Romney. Um, yep. I'll vote for him. And then I started talking to some friends and learning a bit more and like, okay, this libertarian thing is kind of cool. And, um, you know, that it kind of lined up where I was. Um, 
you know, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, and um, really started diving in over the next few years and come to 2016. And I was still a registered Democrat, hardcore, you know, supporting Johnson, though, if he was running again. And, um, well, we know how that turned out. But uh, then 2017 came, and I was hardcore libertarian then, but still a Democrat because I wanted to vote in the primaries, mm-hmm. and I wanted to vote against Hillary. <laughs> yeah, that's darn, so that darn I, so, a primary. Yeah, so um, I was a birdie bro only for the sake of mm-hmm. no Hillary, you know? <laughs> I wasn't really truly a birdie bro, though, contrary to popular belief <laughs> of my Facebook profile uh, picture. But um, then 2017 came, and I wrote myself in just for fun like I normally do, and I get this letter in the mail. Congratulations, you've been elected to office. Well, I don't want to be a Democrat in office. So uh, I had been talking on and off with the local libertarians, and I'm like, you know what, uh, guys, um, I got myself elected, but I kind of want to jump ship. What do I do? <laughs> and it's been a just roller jump. coaster ride since. Just jumped. Yeah. I just jumped. Just jumped. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I, 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 technically, I was one of the first molten maneuver uh, elections without knowing what that was. <laughs> I don't think they knew was, what it was. Yeah, they didn't know what it was. And no, that, that was the. Yeah, 2017 was the first year they did it. 2017 was the first year they did it. 2017. But, you know, I've told my story a couple of times when I was running for chair. But I'd like to give my story, too, so everyone knows. I come from a very, very political family. Um, My grandmother was a tax collector for 45 years, elected tax collector, um, very prominent in her field and in her party, the Republican party. And, you know, I was basically told I'm Republican or I'm disowned. Um, and she helped get some judges and representatives and stuff elected here in New York County, here in Pennsylvania. And so, I mean, very political family. And, um, I think she'd be proud of me now with all my political activism, although it's not for her party. I think that she would be proud, but, um, you know, I was, um, I was a John McCain girl. I, I had my lipstick Republican pin for Sarah Palin. It's probably in my attic. I should find it anyway. Um, and, uh, I went and stood in line to, to try and see Sarah Palin in person at the York fair. Like, I was, yeah. And uh, obviously John McCain didn't win. And I was disheartened. And my husband at the time, my now ex-husband, <clears throat> had showed me like what libertarian was. He introduced me to Ron Paul and who I call my baby steps into libertarian is libertarianism. And uh, what's hilarious is my ex-husband was Republican. He was, he was, he was Republican, Confederate flag wearing Republican. And now he's a Bernie bro. <clears throat> <laughs> That's it's a really, right there. It's a, I have no idea how this transition happened. Um, but for me, I moved over to libertarianism because of the taxes issue. Um, you know, I saw firsthand after working in my grandmother's tax office, you know, all of the high 
fees that people were paying. And um, I just was not on board with that. And then, uh, and then the ABC organizations, honestly, the ATF, the DA, the Department of Education, the FDA, all of those things and their overreach and overstep just really kind of just made me irritated <laughs> and uh and kind of made me want to find someone something that i felt better represented myself in the democratic or the republican party did not do that and obviously the democratic party did not um you know social issues kind of like with you john with the lgbtq community and everything like that really resonated with me and you know that's kind of also why i didn't feel at home with the republican party because you know, I had friends that lived that lifestyle and I just felt that they weren't being truly represented, represented. Um, but you know, those, that's kind of why I got into it. Um, Gary Johnson in 2016 is who got me as a presidential supporter into the party, into the movement. And I then was on Joe Jorgensen's state campaign and, you know, working many campaigns since then. So we had a question. So I'm going to go back up to that. Yeah, that was a good question. Chris asked, question to any of you. If you had to pick one policy that you hold near and dear, what would it be? Uh, for me, it would be ending the drug war. Um, I think so many of the, the, the problems that we have with Leasing in America right now are ju are just baked into the into the drug war. Uh, it won't be a complete panacea, but I think uh, if you can get the bad if you can get the drugs off the streets and into a retail space, you're not going to see all the the violence that we we have associated with the market. You won't see the fentanyl. You won't see people ODing on on this stuff because there's going to be quality control. Uh, you know, I I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I'll probably take the whole hour if I, I start talking about the drug war, but that's that's where I'm at. Okay. Uh, but I mean, there's, you know, of course, I'm also a foreign policy nerd and, and uh, you know, uh, war and war stuff and all that good stuff. So, um, but yeah, drug war is the, the big one. John? Uh, he actually took one of my biggest ones. Um, but I, it's, so I'll go uh, my next in line. Um, I'd say probably uh, immigration, and that kind of ties hand in hand with foreign policy and the drug war. Um, you know, I think we're at a point. You know, we've had years and years now of uh, you know this fight of immigration. The illegals—they're crossing the border. Well, they're crossing they the border. Took our stuff. <laughs> stuff we're because yeah, <laughs> the stuff that we're doing from the war on drugs to war in other countries, like they're fleeing here because of our bad policies. Like, you know, and yeah. So yeah, there was a time where I was like, Oh, they, I was a, they took our jobs guy. Uh, but then I, you know, I actually started working with people who were not here legally and I learned fast, you know, from building those friendships with those people. And then um, they just want to be here because yep. there's more opportunities for them. They, they, they can do better here. And a lot of them, are stuck in a point where they, you know, if they get caught, they're going to get sent back and possibly be killed, you know, if they get sent back to where they're from. Um, but the government isn't doing the things that they keep claiming they want to do. Uh, 
you know, I was glad when Obama passed the uh, the Dreamers Act because that was a temporary protection. And right. then we heard how Republicans wanted to fix immigration. Well, they had four years of Trump and they did nothing but built a half a wall that wasn't going to do anything. They and did nothing, the Dem- Ron? They did, they did nothing. 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 And they lied now to us? Got- <laughs> and now Biden's here. And Democrats have a trifecta across the board, but guess what? Nothing. They're doing nothing. I feel like nothing. it's nothing rainbow. Again, it's <laughs> nothing. The whole the idea nothing that, you do. <laughs> it's it's the whole idea that why solve a problem when you can use it to draw drive a wedge in, a, in an election? That's really all politics has become lately is just how you know how can we generate hate? Yeah, they're uh, they're monopolizing on hate yeah. and it's 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 not proving it's not proving anything it's not solving anything it's just creating more division in this country and we're seeing it trickle down into parties specifically and you know where you're you're, where you're fighting over ideology interpretations and stuff like that um for me my policies that like sit near dear to my heart um i'm gonna take it off now since i'm the last one commenting um kind of change as I get a little older, if I'm being, if I'm being completely honest, you know, when I was younger and trying to buy a house and everything, I was looking at taxes and, and things like that. Now that I'm a mom with a kid in school, like the department of education is, is a joke in my opinion. I mean, sending all of our, the tax money that we have to pay to the department of education, sending it to the federal government for them to send us back $6 from the 10 that we gave them is just a joke. Um, you know, I work in the schools. I see firsthand how underpaid and overworked the, you know, the teachers and the staff are, um, and that money could be actually go if we're going to make people pay that money, it should be going to the people doing the job and not to people who are just being some middleman. Um, but the other thing that sits really close to me now is criminal justice reform with, you know, with my husband, with his past, you know, he wants to serve his community and, you know, because of a felony from 19 years ago that he served his time for, he can't hold borough council. And so, I mean, there's just a lot of reform that needs to be had on people who serve their time. Um, you know, when you look and it kind of pulls in what you guys were talking about, like ending the war on drugs, because that's affecting our minority communities, which are then putting them in jail. And then, you've got to deal with the criminal justice reform aspect of everything. I just feel like we need a big overhaul and it's not going to happen because people are scared of what it will entail, but we need a complete overhaul of our justice system. Um, You know, pulling in nullifications, you know, giving the juries the, that power to do something like that, just because the papers may say it's, you know, illegal doesn't mean that you have to say it is you can, you know, so I, I feel like those policies kind of adapt with me and grow with me as I change and, mm-hmm. and new priorities happen in my life. W- would you guys agree that that's kind of like how it's worked for you? Yeah. Definitely. I, uh, when I started uh, in the literary <laughs> movement, uh, it was more out of being, you know, one, it was the, the torture drove me out of the Republican party, the, the acceptance and, and, you know, that, that drove me out of the Republican. It was like the last straw, but it was the, continual disappointment of the promises every time we went to an election of we're small government, we're small government. You're going to get small government if you get the Republican party into, and then we got Republican party into, into power and they grew the government like massively. 
Yeah. And so when I came to the Libertarian Party, I was like, oh, great. Finally, a party that believes in small government. And that's important to me. Like, I, I do want to reduce the size and the scope of the government. But now as I've moved into libertarianism, I've you know started to say, okay, it's one thing to say I want to end the the DEA or the the uh, Department of Education, Department of Energy, whatever. It's the understanding that it is a fundamental systemic overhaul, not just not just of criminal justice, but the entire thing. You can do it with it with education. In fact, I think education needs a complete overhaul. Of what mm-hmm. what we've got right now, uh, criminal justice. Uh, you know the uh, the the way that our government works now. The way that that you and I could run for partisan political office is completely screwed. Yeah. Uh, if you're not a Democrat or a Republican, if you're not incredibly money, I mean, that's, that's the the one thing that you have to uh, take into account. And um, yeah, I, it is an evolution that, you know, I started out as just a small government guy and then I became this, you know, really just a, a almost a social uh social libertarian with still with the the idea that i want to reduce the size and scope of government to as small as possible and where we have to have some government has to be as efficient as possible no i'm the same way like i I feel like i come from very conservative background but as i've kind of you know explored my own political beliefs and and followings i found that i tend to have more social um leanings more more left leanings for lack of another way to say it when you when you look at certain programs and um and equality and getting the government not just out of our wallet but also out of our bedroom and you know that's that's a key point when i'm talking to people about the liberty movement and you know platform items and things like that like what we are trying to put forth in the government to get change, you know, yeah, anybody can say we should reduce taxes, but we also need to reduce spending. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe Solosky is really good at talking about how we don't have a, we don't have a, um, a budget problem. We have a spending problem Yep. and yeah. welcome back, John. And, um, and that's so true. And it's not just of Pennsylvania. It's of other States too. You know, they, they've kind of, become accustomed to having all of this money and you know they just spend it and spend it instead of trying to figure out ways that they can cut it and i really think that that's key and you know that's why i work so hard in the party um movement new party i guess um because i want to get people elected into those office people who want to run serious campaigns and make serious change and that's key here is you know the liberty movement can um can go under a a lot of different banners um but as long as we're pushing forward candidates who want to make change um and bring change i I think that's really the only key here that we need to be focused on and and putting forth those candidates that really embrace that idea and have that personality and those stances that can really resonate with other people and bring them in to maybe maybe not initially to the party but at least to the movement where they can then find their own footing in the party um whatever party that may be that they feel resonates with them um but that you know that's kind of why i wanted to do this show when when chris talked to me is i wanted people to be able to find who they are in the liberty movement find out what 
what matters the most to them and what they would be really interested in, in trying to work forward with change. You know, Gus Tatlas um, is who really got me involved locally in the Liberty Movement. And I knew nothing of gerrymandering <laughs> when, when I met him. And I remember thinking, gosh, what is he talking about? Like, that just sounds like a made up word to me. And now I've marched with fair districts. You know, I, I led cadence from through my, or from a city Island to Capitol Hill, you know, in Harrisburg. Like I understand. And I, I and you know, I, I am frustrated <laughs> with it because yeah. it's, it's so corrupt. Um, I lived but, in one of the worst gerrymandered districts. Funny that you mentioned that. Uh, you know the whole goofy kicking Donald Duck? That was one of my districts. <laughs> I actually I was went, in the Donald Duck. <laughs> I was in a district in uh, Georgia. Uh, actually, uh, my college was in the district. Um, it went from Cobb County, which is just outside of Atlanta, uh, northwest suburbs of Atlanta, um, up to the uh, Alabama line, up to the Tennessee line, all the way across, I mean, just and and really like with narrow patches, all the way across the the Tennessee line down to the North Carolina line, and then down into back into the state into this little town called Tacoa. Um, the the district was like three hundred miles wide. When you, I mean, it's hard to drive three hundred miles in Georgia. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it made no sense, and this was a, uh, I think it was a state house district, but it was really just to carve out a you know uh republican district this was done by the democrats in 20 in 2002 uh this is to you know have a minority or have a district that has a whole bunch of republicans but carry cuts them out of these uh marginal democratic districts and it's it's amazing what they can do with the the software now that they're i mean it's even better now than it was back in 2002 but i mean they can micro target some of these districts and you'll see like a you know uh, a city where the, the the line goes along a street and then it jets down and takes like two buildings and then it comes back up and goes. Yeah. And like, How do you? What are you doing? That? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it happened here in in Martinsburg, West Virginia, that that um, a state house district did that, and the two dis two two houses that it took in, one was a Democrat that was planning on running in the state rep district that he would have been in if the line had been straight. That when um when I was managing Tim McMaster's campaign in the PA Senate 48th race last year, um, his district was so bad. It was all of Lebanon County. And then it was this little sliver of Dolphin County, just enough to get to York County. So you could get all the Republicans in the, in the North central part of York County. And in this little section of York County, it had, it, it wasn't that big. It was as much between Dolphin and York. It was as many people in that little section as all of Lebanon County. And it was like, so crazy. And, you know, Tim did phenomenal during that race. I'm so proud of him. You know, he went up against three people from Lebanon County and typically a Lebanon County person is who holds that office. So he, yeah. here he is a York County guy running against these Lebanon folk and, you know, he did great, but it was a challenge during that race to be like, Oh, you know, we carried it on. Um, 
you know, like our clipboards and stuff. This isn't his, but we would be like, oh, you live here. And this is, this is all of the county. And I'm from, I'm from here. Like he would be like showing people and they would be like, why, why is it like that? And then he would be like, this is what I'm trying to fix. Like, I want to go in there. I want to fix this. He, right. um, we actually think he did so well compared to what they thought he would do that they actually redistricted the whole district and kicked out your county out of that district um, entirely. They took away that dolphin arm and all of uh, the York section and moved it over into Berks County and, and part of Lancaster. So it went from a little bit of an arm and a piece over here to a little bit of arm and a piece over here. But, you know, just I... I keep going back thinking about the things that I hear people talk about. And I know you both have done events before. I assume you have at least, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're talking to people for the first time, what issues do you, do you tend to hear the most about what is important to them? Dave? Uh, it depends on where I've been. So uh, when I lived in Arlington, Virginia, it was uh, very heavily, I mean, it's the, the, the district outside of any like metro. It, in internal city area it was the heaviest blue district in the country on buyers direct there um it, it uh that was a lot of uh you know we heard a lot of gun control we heard a lot of uh you know uh government jobs i mean because that, that, that's what's important to most of the people that live there uh you know it wasn't always the the easiest thing for us, for us to sell but it was you know we could reach them on things like you know, let's right size the government. Let's make sure that, that that things are as efficient as possible. And they were more receptive to that. Here in West Virginia, uh, I'm in the eastern panhandle of West Virginia, so um, it it really is 2A. It's abortion. Um, uh, these are the, the big issues. We, you know, it's very easy to talk to people about uh, Second Amendment. Uh, it's very easy to make uh, some of them mad because we'll, we'll say that we're, we're way further right than, than Donald Trump on, on the second amendment. And, uh, you know, we, you know, talk about how Trump wanted bump stocks banned and silence mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, it's, that's actually kind of in our wheelhouse, but then, you know, abortion is always a, a difficult topic for libertarians because really we, we say you, you should have the, the decision on, uh, whether you have an abortion or not, like that's, you know, a, some people don't want abortion and that's fine. Some people want abortion. That's fine. We just don't want the government to pay for it. And that's, you know, some people think it's a cop out, but it's, I think we're very well in line with what the libertarian philosophy is, is I get to decide what I do. Yeah. And I don't get the government to pay for it. That's the, you know, those are the two key things. So, um, uh, you know, I, I know that there's been moves afoot to, to make changes there, but, um, you know, it's it's very difficult here in the, the very conservative state of West Virginia that when people start talking about abortion, and honestly, for me, I'm like, abortion is like 98th of the list of topics I like talking about, or I really just, I just don't care about it. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably so. I mean, let's be honest here. Yeah, no, I... I oh, you having one anytime soon, Dave. I am not having one. I am, but I am <laughs> of, of women having re reproductive uh, access to services. Like, I, you know, during the during the pandemic, our governor shut down 
you know, elective procedures. And he, he, of course, he termed abortion an elective procedure. And there's only one abortion provider in the state of West Virginia wow. at all. Um, so, you know, for the most part, women in, in this state have to go out of state to, to get any uh, I mean, services at all. That's a good example I'm, of what I'm, it looks like when you do ban abortion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a woman, um, you know, that's something that's changed with me over time too you know back i remember when i was a teenager and someone i worked with got an abortion i i would i i shunned her basically you know i did i didn't understand you know i just assumed that it was a bad thing because that's what i'd always been told and then you know i struggled to get pregnant so then i had that kind of that kind of perception of abortion like how you know there's women out there that can't have a baby like it took me three and a half years to get pregnant and you know thousands of dollars spent and you know there's people out there that want babies that can't have it so like if you're not ready to be the parent why not put them up for adoption so like my mindset there changed um but then i became a mom and you know was pregnant and i understood like the risk and the complications and i had a complication my son was born eight weeks early and you know i i have friends who lost babies really early i have friends who had babies at 24 weeks and their child was in the nicu for six months um you know so i was able to see it from a different perspective i will still to this day advocate for life every day and any day but i also don't believe that the government should be dictating what someone is doing with the body, their body and the contents within it. I believe that life starts at conception, conception, but my beliefs are not that of everybody. And, you know, just like I wouldn't force my Christianity views down someone else's throat, I'm not going to force these other things. I will try and put forth, you know, legislation that will stop it after 17 weeks or, you know, some, something like that, unless, you know, obviously life and health, you know, um, is at you know is in de in jeopardy words apparently they're not coming out um but you know i i feel like there should be stipulation but i don't think the government should be telling anybody if they can have a hamburger or not or have a cigarette or not or you know remove something from their body that they're not ready to take care of because that's a decision they get to make and have to live with and then them and their spouse that's and their, my, their being. that's my general perspective uh right now is if you want to ban abortion okay then that means uh child support starts upon a positive pregnancy test that means uh you're going to be supporting that woman financially for the rest of that pregnancy and through the next 18 years or you can let her do what she feels is best for her and whoever she chooses to include on that decision. Yeah. <laughs> I personally is, am pro-life, but I do not want anyone saying what you can do to your own body. <laughs> you know? But the other thing you've got to take into account is the, the way that the government has established the adoption system in this country, uh, even mm -hmm. state governments, uh, is such a cluster that you know, it makes it hard to, uh, you know, if you're a prospective parent, it's, it's, you know, daunting. If you're a mother, it's daunting to go through that system. Yeah. 
Um, and there's so much, uh, you know, scamming that goes on within the adoption system too. It's just, there's no protection at all, but there are so many lawyers and so many uh, government agencies involved that it, it, it's kind of shocking that there's so much scamming going on because there should be somebody looking out and and being able to to uh, step in when when scams happen. And they don't. And the other yeah. funny thing to that is. Um, like North, I think, yeah, North Carolina, uh, not long after uh, Trump took office and put in one of his appointees to one of the district courts, uh, they ruled that it was legal for an adoption agency to prohibit people that were not straight, white, married couples from adopting. And these are the same people that want to prevent adop- uh, prevent abortions. But then they want to stop the people that really, truly want to adopt, uh, you know, leaving people out because of their race or their religion or their, you know, marital status. And, like, you, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, in that situation. <laughs> Sorry. No, yeah. I uh, I actually am going to I'm going to put my TikTok if I got it right in there. Um. Yeah, there we go. Uh, on TikTok, I actually follow, and you're welcome to follow me. I post stupid videos oh. and political videos and things like that. So, um, but on TikTok, I actually follow this lady that ended up being scammed for an ado- adoption. Um, you know, for a birth mother. Now, they have lawyers involved and have had lawyers involved and everything like that. But just to watch those journeys. Um, it's crazy. And the cost, and and this is one thing why I love Joe Jorgensen is, you know, she wanted to remove government from these as much as possible from these things. They wanted, she wanted to make birth birth control easily accessible over the counter. She wanted to, you know, um, reform the adoption process and everything like that. Because when you take away a lot of those barriers, you're going to see the abortion rates drop because people are going to feel like their child will get adopted or, you know, they feel like they can, you know, get birth control over the counter. And, you know, that was one thing why I love Joe so much is because she gave like actual solutions to help with a problem that everyone keeps talking about, but doing nothing about because Republicans have had control and have done nothing. Democrats have had control and done nothing. So, you know, Joe's going, okay, abortion's going to happen because we see it with drugs. We saw it with alcohol. Anytime you prohibit something, it just becomes more dangerous, more sought after. It's like telling my seven-year-old, don't touch the wall. It's wet paint. And what does he do? He touches the wall. So, you know, when you tell someone they can't do it or they can't have it, what they want is exactly that. So, you know, eliminating or prohibiting abortion is not going to make anything better. We're going to have coat hanger abortions in the basements and people are going to die. And for what? For 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 medical health? For, for a medical procedure? You know? that we have no right to dictate over someone else's body anon- autonomy. Like right. I, it, it just really sits unwell with me, even though I hate abortion and I, you know, would pr- again, promote life every day. I just don't think yeah, that it's I mean, something. I what see the number. And I think. God, Dave. <laughs> oh, well, I see. I see the number of kids here in West Virginia that are built born to 
parents who are addicts, uh, the, the number of kids in this state being raised by grandparents, even great grandparents is astounding. Like it, it boggles the mind. We are, we are the number one state in the country, uh, when it comes to grandparents and great grandparents raising children because that, of the opioid that crisis. That's a West Virginia yeah. thing because of cousins, you know, kissing. It's a little far further south, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, what Brian says what here is, say. hold on a sec, John. Brian, Brian yeah. says here is, is, you know, single men don't get to adopt. Um, you know, my, even if my husband and I wanted to adopt, we can't because he is a felony from 19 years ago. I mean, there are people out there that would like, not me, I don't want any more kids, but, um, <laughs> there are people out there that want kids and, you know, there's agencies, which they have the right to do it, who choose not same sex couples. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's right, but it's a private aid organization. It's their choice. Um, you know, but when you get into other adoption agencies that aren't private and they're not allowing single men who want to have a child or single women, I think they happen a little bit more than single men, but same sex couples and things like that. Like they put so many stipulations and it ends up them being cheaper for these people to go to China to adopt. The process is simpler and cheaper while still being expensive, but they end up going to another country to adopt because of the rules and regulations we have over here. And then people are wondering why all these immigrants are coming in. And it's like, because you won't let us adopt the only damn kids here. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can breed tons um, of kids, but the state won't let you give someone else's child to love in a good home. You're absolutely right, Chris. And it's ridiculous. Like definitely. I, I know people who have four or five children who live off the state who are not fit to be parents sometimes nope. by their actions and they get to keep their kids. I mean, legit medical neglect and they get to keep their kids, but then other people who have good jobs, you know, stable income and a loving and clean home can adopt a kid. It doesn't make sense. Yep. Go ahead, Don. Definitely. Um, I was going to say that uh, back to what you were saying uh, before Dave, that falls across a lot of things uh <clears throat> prohibition across the board uh it stops you know good things from happening um you know just by prohibiting something doesn't mean it's going to go away you can stop abortion all you want uh, you know from the government perspective but then you know you get the coat hanger abortions in the back with the war on drugs you can say drugs are bad all across the board but they're still going to come in somehow or somewhere. I mean, we, we've literally had uh, several cases of alcohol prohibition since the country was founded. I mean, the 1920s are the most well-known period, and um, there's still even towns today, even in Pennsylvania and across the country, that are dry yeah. towns. And it still gets through. Saying it's bad and you can't do it isn't going to stop it. So make it you know, my, I guess you could say legalize freedom and just let people do it and deal with the consequence, whether it's regret or whatever it is down the road. Yeah. Getting people into the legal sphere that, that has protections, I think is, is the ideal situation. You want to be able to not, uh, you know, look at, at things like sex work, 
you know, all the things that we hate about sex work, the trafficking, uh, abuse, uh, all that stuff will still be illegal if you legalize sex work. Yeah. All you're doing is pro- graining protection to the to the workers rather than making them afraid to, to report any any of these uh, situations are going on for fear that they go to jail anyway. Like that, that was one of the things that never made sense to me. Like, okay, why would you ban something, make it illegal, throw it into a black market, throw it into a situation where people can get killed for doing, uh, you know, peaceful activities and then, uh, you know, uh, throw them in jail and say we're doing you a favor. Like I, I don't, I just don't understand the consensual peaceful activities. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, like it's one thing if you're being forced into it. It's a whole other thing if you're literally just choosing to charge someone twenty bucks for what you're going to give them for free. Like, and Brian makes a good yep. point. You know, prohibitions have never worked. Not even when God tried. Like, yeah. like literally. <laughs> I don't know everyone's faith here, but like I believe in Jesus and God and Adam and Eve and. I have the yeah. problems I have because Eve did not listen to God when he broke it. was Adam and Steve first. That's how Eve came around. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but you know I what I mean? Like, it comes back to like way back in the day that prohibitions yeah. just don't work on anything. No. And, you know, I have that not argument, but that conversation with people when I'm meeting them and and introducing them to liberty movement, you know, like into reasonable, practical change and solutions. And I'm like, when was the last time you saw two beer distributors or, or liquor stores having a shootout on the corner? Like you haven't seen that since like the twenties because beer and liquor are available you know you would see a a reduction in crime rate in these cities and at the borders and stuff if we just you know decriminalize and legalize you know drugs i've personally have never touched a drug in my life and i have no desire to do so anytime soon but that shouldn't prevent other people from partaking and just like they do with alcohol, obviously, I think that they should do it reasonably and responsibly. And there should be some, you know, safeguards in like they shouldn't be able to drive intoxicated um, or under the influence. But, you know, they shouldn't be stopped from having a plant. Yeah. I, one, of the, one of the things that, uh, you know, this is a actually when you get the government out of things, uh, we're talking about the liquor industry uh, back in the late nineties, early two thousands, we actually removed some of the prohibitions on the amount of alcohol you could have in a beer. And it did two things. One, it started allowing the import of some foreign beers, which opened the market. And then it allowed just massive numbers of microbreweries get in, into the, uh, into the economy. And it, the, the beer business has never been better in the United States because we've removed regulations from it. And it should be a lesson on all things that when you start getting the government out of things, things loosen up and the, the economy within that industry will get better uh, as long as they're innovating. And of course, the beer industry is innovating every day. So um, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I drive into Jersey and I see all these liquor stores. I'm like, prices are a lot better. Why? Yeah. Oh. No state store monopoly. Yeah. I that mean, is even the one some thing of the prices, we have to get rid of. Yeah, even 
some of the beer and uh, wine is a little bit cheaper. Well, beer is always cheaper because they're, they're private, but um, a lot of the wine is cheaper. Same bottle next door giant to the the state store next door. It's like a dollar or two cheaper sometimes. Not as mm-hmm. much selection, but I'll go th- to Giant because then, hey, it's one-stop shopping, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that we definitely here in Pennsylvania need to get rid of is there's no reason why the, the state should own the liquor stores. It's just, It doesn't make sense. It's not fiscally responsible whatsoever. Um, it, uh, yeah, it shouldn't. I mean, we can't get liquor... Uh, on Sundays because the state doesn't want them to be open. It It's dumb. Uh, correction. Some can be open. Here's the, the weird yeah. thing. Some liquor stores, state stores can be open on Sunday and others can't. Some are blessed All the ones near me are open. So yeah. no, the one closest <laughs> to me is not, but the one that is an extra yeah. 15 minutes away is. So I would have to drive to that one. If I wanted my pineapple vodka. But you and know. They, they, they study it. Uh, most of the states that have gotten rid of the the blue laws, as they're called, uh, have you know found that that incidences of drunk driving, especially on Saturday nights, especially around eleven o'clock when that store is about to close, go down because people aren't getting hammered. Uh, realize <laughs> that they're out of beer for Sunday's football game and aren't getting behind the wheel to go buy beer and, right. or liquor, or whatever. So. Well, we have two different stores here, Dave. You can only buy yeah. beer at the beer distributor, and you can only buy mm-hmm. liquor at the liquor store. You can't yep. buy both together. Alcohol um, laws across the country are just perverse, man. I well, don't yeah. get them. Well, well just wait till we legalize is- weed. It's going to be sold <laughs> in the state stores. That's at where the, they want to um, sell it. At the convenience stores, like locally, we have brothers. They sell beer in them, but they sell Fireball. And I don't understand how they can sell these <laughs> little liquors. Yeah. Like, why what Fireball of all like, things? It's just Fireball. fireball. Yeah. Like, it's just that. Like, they also sell spiked cherries in, and um, that's technically some other, like, little, it's like little things. Um, yeah. But they can't sell, like, actual liquor. Like, I mean, well, I guess you know who Fireball can think is actual about that. liquor. For but that. like big containers it's so stupid and they shouldn't have access and and these are some of the topics we will be talking about on yeah. liberty 101 yeah. is all the stupid stuff that needs changed and practical solutions to do said stuff exactly so yeah uh, go ahead john final thoughts I was gonna say you you can thank sheets and i'm not talking about that guy from, that guy you know guy. down the street from me uh you know yeah sheets is actually the one that helped uh allow us to be able to buy you know wine and beer outside of you know the normal venues um they they were the biggest proponents of it and thank god for them even though Wawa's was better or that's yeah. too controversial i'm sorry <laughs> yeah don't go there rudders rudders is the best so you just don't i don't like rudders they the, uh, the oil. I always smell the burning oil in there. I'll, we don't prefer, have, I'll take sheets over rudders. We have air fryers. Like, I know. That's we have air fryers. Like, How do you smell oil? We have air fryers. It smells. All right. It smells bad. You smell bad. <laughs> um. Wow. I took a shower. Welcome to Liberty One Hundred and One, where we insult our guests. Nice. 
Um, <sighs> no, I, that's actually why I prefer rudders over sheets. You know, kind of off topic is sheets uses the mm. oil in the fryer, and everything I feel like is always drenched in oil, like my hash browns and stuff, and it's just it makes me a little nauseous. Mm. Whereas rudders drops it in the little air fryer thing, and then I mean, there's probably a little bit of oil or whatever in there, but it comes out and it's not oily. There you go. So anyway, but hey, at least Wawa so, doesn't burn their coffee. Wawa's gross. Um, I, except for their twenty-five cent candy. Iowa gave up its liquor stores years ago, but they still say what brands and types of alcohol can be sold in the state. So in effect, they still control the industry. Shocking! Yeah. The government's still controlling something they used to have their hands on. Well, and you know, they didn't of, want to give it up. Thinking of Pennsylvania uh, banning vodkas. Uh, at the outset of the war, um, the Russian vodka <laughs> that they already purchased that they're not letting them sell in the store. Yeah, already right. purchased and was more taxes likely, paid for that, and most likely not made in Russia. Yeah, yeah, most of those are maybe originally not made in Russia. Yeah, they might have been originally made in Russia, but then production got cheaper by moving it outside of Russia. Yeah. Um, so they're not. So. <laughs> but. Uh, so one thing I, I want to know from you guys, what, what one piece of advice would you give to a new activist? Just uh, brand new coming into the party. Whichever party you want. Repeat that again. Sorry. What one piece of advice would you give to, or two or, you know, uh, a couple pieces of advice you would give to a new activist coming into the Liberty Movement? Um, for me, and maybe it's because of this, of starting the new party, uh, it's finding people that you align with. It, it's not party loyalty. And, you know, we talked about this a lot in the Libertarian Party is, you know, trying to convince people not to vote straight ticket. And the Democrats going vote blue no matter who. Um, but, you know while trying to find the candidates that I support that support the things that I support, you know, I've been shunned from the libertarian party and because I decided to follow candidates because they represent what I would like to see in the government versus just voting gold, no matter who. And I think that that's what we need to remember is, you know, yes, we should find the party that best aligns with who we are and and work on building that party so that we get the best representation out of it but at the end of the day it should really be policy over party it should be principles over party um it, it shouldn't you you know will i still vote for libertarian candidates probably if they align with what i would like and and you know aren't screaming let's unmuzzle our children you know as we come to the end <laughs> Um, you know, but you know, don't get me wrong. COVID was horrible, and and the tyranny that happened in the state of Pennsylvania and in our schools and everything like that was was horrible. But we are now over two years into it. There are three cases in my school district. We are definitely seeing the end of this pandemic, and to still be riling on it, like still just feeding that dead horse yeah. um, is not been a benefit for the Liberty movement. And there are candidates out there that want to speak about moving forward and not just standing and repeating about the past. And so when I, when I talk to people and what I plan on talking to people about is finding people, finding the candidate 
that believes and stands for the things that you believe and stand for. And, you know, one of the things that I want to do with Liberty 101 is I'll have candidates on, but I don't want them talking about their campaign. I want them being able to talk like a normal human being and being able for people to find out where they came from, the things that mean the most to them and, you know, things like that. I don't want them sitting on here going, Hey guys, it's Christine and I'm running for Congress in district 11. None of that is accurate by the way, but um, <laughs> it's, <for campaign. laughs> it's the recording distributed. <laughs> you know, uh, I would be running against my husband then just for the record, but you know, going on here, vote for me because you know, and giving this spiel, I, I don't want that. I want people coming on here and being genuine to the best of their ability and, you know, helping people find their footing within, within the movement, because that's how we, grow activists. That's how we grow to add more candidates into office to run on the ballot. That's how we make this movement be successful is by giving them the footing and the foundation to grow off of. Um, and I know I went on a little tangent there and I apologize, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about you, John? Um, well, the first thing I'd say is prepare to get a very thick skin. Uh, because no matter what, no matter who it is, whether it's within the movement, whether it's from without, from outside of the movement, you're going to get some uh, some pretty heavy stuff thrown at you. Um, mm -hmm. I know I'm guilty in uh, you know responding, but I'm a passionate person, and I'm sorry, I'm going to be passionate, and I'm not going to hold back if I'm really passionate about a subject. But that's the thing, uh, you know, as someone who's run for office. That's what I look for in my, uh, you know, candidates is someone that is passionate, that is not afraid to say this is who I am and, you know, put themselves out there on the table. Um, you know, like right now in the Senate race, um, to be honest, even though, yeah, he's a Democrat, uh, I kind of like Fetterman right now as far as, you know, as just looking at the primary field strictly because i mean he's a good guy to get along with even though uh, keeps uh <clears throat> you know ignoring me on my uh, offers to go out for coffee at wawa <laughs> but um you know you know he's uh you know he's the most vocal as far as ending the war on drugs in pennsylvania um and you know now running for senate wanting to do it across the country and so i align with him in that sense and you know you know i'll align with someone regardless of the party if they fall on something that i agree with like there was supposed to be a green party candidate running for congress in my district and i would have supported him because him and i 100 percent aligned on a lot of things and but he's not running now um unfortunately things stopped uh, uh he had to stop his campaign because of things but um, yeah, it's always for me people over people and principle over party. Yeah. So I agree. And I love that Brian said this because this is part of the reason why I left the Libertarian Party is this is what happened in basically this comment right here. The problem is that the Republicans talk a good game, but very seldom do as they say. This is why I will never vote a duopoly candidate again. And Brian. <laughs> so funny you say this because you know i believe in talking the talk and walking the walk you know when we talk about when government is removed people will step up i worked really hard in my local county to show that that was the case 
that when we remove the government, people will help clean the streets. People will help feed the homeless. People will do all these other things, you know, donate to shelters and start shelters and things like that. And, you know, the, one of the reasons why I left the LP is because my local County told me that none of those things mattered, that trash cleanups were pointless and didn't help with the food drive, didn't come to the community outreach when we were talking to people at street fairs and carnivals. You know, we did a lot of activism here in our in our local county, and we got so much media coverage, and we got so much, you know, newspaper spots, and they saw it as nothing because why? There wasn't anybody else at the meetings. But when you look oh. at those poll results, you see that in your county, Joe Jorgensen did really well compared to the other counties in Pennsylvania. You see that Joe Solosky, Jen Moore, Dan Wasmer all did really well in their treasurer, auditor, and attorney general runs. And why did they do well? Is it because someone just randomly clicked libertarian? Nope. It's because me and a dozen other people stood on a corner of a busy highway every other week doing a sine wave. Because we because you showed up to the Quakertown Farmers Market, that's why. Showed up to the Quakertown Farmers Market. <laughs> we went and fed the homeless downtown and held a registration drive. We participated in parades. You know, I really agree with what you said here, Brian. Is that Republicans talk a good game, but unfortunately, I'm seeing that it's it's now spread because people are seeing that as that works for them, so it must work for us, right? If we just talk a good game. And it, it really comes back to the basics is talking to people on their level on the issues that are important to them. If it's bringing the troops home, um, side note about me, I was in the Navy for 36 days in case anybody did not know that, um, voluntarily enlisted, but you know, the, I have friends who have been deployed. I have friends that stayed in after I was medically discharged, you know, so bringing the troops home and military, you know, efforts and everything like that is something that hits home for me. So that is something I like to talk to people about Two mm-hmm. a, you know, finding these issues that are important to people and having those conversations on a very surface level and then giving them the information to do, you know, to do more research and find out how far into the LP and, and if they're a minarchist or an anarchist or whatever, finding where they, they fall in libertarianism or on the, on the spectrum of the smallest world political quiz is a huge thing that I love using, you know, having those conversations with people and bringing them in is, is key and showing them that you don't just talk about it, but you do it. You know, York donated over 700 pounds of food to the food bank last summer. That was awesome. Yeah. And when we showed the yeah. when we showed the the Revol- York Revolution when they we showed up with all the food they're like what you have more because we did something <laughs> that not many people had done because we worked together uh, and when we show people we can work together on stuff like this it's going to prove to them that we can work together with people in different areas. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I think with with me when it comes to advice for for new new folks is uh first off don't don't dive in way too deep i i've i've known people that show up to their first meeting and within 10 minutes they have three offices 
and all the responsibilities in the world. And they, uh, you know, they, they could have come from a different party, uh, but they generally, they, you know, this is their first experience in politics. Uh, so they, they get dumped on because generally, I mean, we're a smaller party. Both of us, you know, you guys will be a smaller party as well. Um, the, so volunteer resources are, are limited. And generally what happens is we get a, uh, uh, you know, somebody is just a tired volunteer and they, they, uh, they want to shuff off all their, their responsibilities. So they'll find the first new person who comes in the door and the first new person is like, yeah, sure. I'll help. I'll help. And all of a sudden they get burnt out. That's the, that's the first thing is take, take some time, uh, you know, get your bearings, find out what kind of libertarian you are and, and uh, you know, where, what areas that, that interest you um, don't commit too early to, to, cause there's always going to be places to, to get, you know, titles and responsibilities. Don't chase titles. That's another thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they be prepared to do the work, if you want to do the work, do the work. Um, the, the titles really don't mean anything at the end of the day. A title so, can be taken uh, away in an instant. <laughs> yeah. I, so I was, I was uh, a state chair of West Virginia and I, you know, people would say, Oh wow, you're a state chair. I'm like, it's like being the principal of a homeschool. I'm like, yeah. When I was running for chair of the LPPA, like everyone's like, oh, you, you know, you want to be chair? I'm like, no, I don't. But I understand that there's an administrative role that needs filled and it's to run meetings. It's to answer emails. It's to make agendas. And I'm capable of doing that and willing to do it. Like, I don't want the title because <laughs> I have enough already on my plate. And to your point, like when you volunteer, you will get volunteered for a million other things. Yep. You know, yeah. um, you know, I, get, <laughs> I said the same thing. <laughs> people tell me all the time, Christine, you do so much. You're absolutely right. I do. I'm PTO president. I substitute in the school district. I'm a community activism, uh, activist, a community organizer. And, you know, and then all my political stuff. You're right. I do because I, I don't know how to say no. That is true. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I manage two campaigns guys. And like, I know. And they're simultaneous and they're both statewide. Like that's crazy. Um, but I can't say no. And that's what happens is, you know, like in 2016, when I joined the York party, you know, I was slowly like I, I did local Johnson campaign mm -hmm. and then I backed away cause I was being sexually harassed. Maybe I should have seen the sign then. Um, I backed away because I was being sexually harassed by some in my county. And then I, you know, came back, Gus brought me back in and stuff. And, you know, I volunteered to make some events for Joe Jorgensen. And then I became the state manager for Joe Jorgensen. Like when you volunteer, because you're, you're committed, you, you found something that has that passion and that really just lights that fire in you. People see that fire and they embrace it. And if one day they may not embrace it, they may see everything you do as trash, basically. And, you know, and then you'll find your place. And, you know, um, you know, you say when you join the Libertarian Party, you can join the Keystone Party, too, and still have a lot. Yeah, of tell things. me more about that. I've well, been feeling homeless the last few months. Some other day. Yeah. But I'm referring to us as stoners because... Nice. <laughs> i've been stoned pretty heavily in the party just say <laughs> well guys i want to thank you guys for oh, coming wait. on 
Um, do you guys have any final thoughts before I get my final thoughts? No, I'm excited for your show. I think it's it's great. Um, it it definitely went better than my first show that I I, I ever did. I I so the the first thing I did my show in two parts, and first one was an interview part, and then second one was a part with a bunch of panelists. We just talked and bullshitted, and it was like Tyler Smith and my sister. And um, I decided to get uh, yeah to drink a beer while I was doing it. Well, I'd gone to the, the liquor store and I got this. Oh, it was a big, like, uh, it, it was basically this size bottle uh, of uh, of a porter. And I didn't realize how much alcohol it was. And I was so nervous for my first show that I didn't eat supper that night. I'd, I'd gotten some supper, but it was like right before my show was going to start. So I was like, I took a couple bites and that was it. So I get to the show and it's like two hours into the show and I start drinking this beer. And next thing I know, I'm like blackout drunk. <laughs> so your your show has gone far better than my first show. So you're you're still with us. Well, thank you. Yes, I'm still here. <laughs> I, I'm excited to see <laughs> so uh, Wish you all the success in the world on it. Thank you. Yeah, it was. Um, I've been on a bootleg show a few times, and apparently. I'm crass enough that he <laughs> offered um, me my own show. So I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, John, final thoughts. Um, I'm just glad you, uh, you invited me on here. Uh, this is uh, probably, I think, the second podcast that I've uh, uh, jumped on at the very beginning. And hopefully this one goes longer than the last one. <laughs> But I don't want to be that. I'm kidding. No, no. Hoping Carly um, doesn't fire me. <laughs> no, no, um, no. I I think it's great. I you know on, on one hand, um, you know, also the ah uh, podcasters ah, uh, but uh, you know, I think it's more important that you know to get the uh, the message out there. You know, uh, I guess any way possible. And I think we're at a point where uh, even the soap operas are making their own little podcast within the episodes. <laughs> so I guess that's the future, you know? <laughs> I think you guys yes, are I'm a young and the restless junkie. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's days of our lives are passion. Come on. But, um, passion's I actually, around, uh, around for like 20 years. I actually We'll save that for another time, John. I'm gonna, um, I'm it's, gonna, kick you guys out um i appreciate you guys right. coming on that's and that's i'm gonna get my final thoughts all right so guys thanks so much for um coming and sitting with me for the last hour or so i really do appreciate it i hope that you guys found something interesting in this i hope you look forward to the next episode i look forward to doing things like women in the liberty movement because you don't see us very often. Um, you tend to see much more of the male presence in the liberty movement, especially white men. <laughs> um, but there are women, and I, I look forward to having those on the show to, to kind of talk about women's issues um, and talk about education and gun rights and everything like that. So if you have an, a topic that you would love for me to go back to the basics on, please let me know. And follow me on TikTok. Um, I will be doing some um updates on my show on there some some spotlights i did one to kind of promote it 
And then uh, just make sure that you check out all the other podcasts that Not a Real Libertarian has going on, like the veteran one um, and the let. Woo, words do not want to come out. Anyway, the veteran one, Not a Real Libertarian podcast and all the other ones that are on this flagship as I like to refer to it. But I'm out for the evening. Thank you guys. And I hope you guys have a blessed evening. Bye.